So we have two passages to read today. The first is Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. The second reading is Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13, to Isaiah chapter 53, verse 12. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should despise him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he has poured out his life unto death, and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. 
This morning, I want us to think about Isaiah 43 and verse 25. You'll find that on page uh, 730 uh, if you're using a church Bible, 730. Um, Isaiah and chapter 43 and verse 25, where God says this, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. And of course, with it being Remembrance uh, Sunday, um, it is that last part of the verse, uh, remembers your sins no more, that I want us to see the rest of the verse through. Now, I don't know about you, but my memory can be extremely frustrating. Uh, My memory is very frustrating. So, for example, if someone tells me their name, within five seconds, it's just gone. Um, and, And what happens is I will spend the rest of the conversation that I'm having with that person, not listening to a word that they're saying, but trying to recall what their name was. And it's very embarrassing because the next time you see them, one, you can't greet them by name because you can't remember what it was, and two, you can't pick up the conversation that they think they've had with you, Uh, but really they just had it with themselves. Um, I I go upstairs to get something, and I get to the top of the stairs, and I've completely forgotten why I've gone upstairs, and the only way to remember what it was is to go back downstairs, and the whole process starts all over again. It can happen two or three times sometimes. Um, I remember once I went for a few days away to uh, Cheddar Village, and I got there about half six in the evening. It, it was raining. The skies were, were grey and black. It was miserable. And um, I put the tent up and uh, went to my car to get my clothes out of my car. And, and they weren't on the back seat where I thought I'd put them. I thought, oh, well, they must be in the boot then. Popped the boot up. They weren't there. And it just suddenly dawned on me. <laughs> I'd gone away for a few days and I'd forgotten to take any clothes with me. <laughs> And you're like, who goes on holiday and forgets to take clothes with them? But that's what I did. And then when I got back home, there were my clothes in a bag on my bed just laughing at me. Um, our, our memories can be really frustrating. And, and so we do things to help us to remember. We, we set alarms on our phones. We have a to-do list. We write little notes for ourselves. And to help us to remember the great sacrifices uh, that people have made in the conflicts of the past. We, we erect memorials, we put up statues, we um, um, put up plaques, we lay wreaths, we wear poppies, uh, we hold silences, we have a remembrance day. Uh, we say in the words of the poem, we will remember them. And uh, to help us remember Jesus and his death, Jesus, he gave us the Lord's Supper, he gave us these visible emblems, the bread and the wine, to help us to, to remember his body and his shed blood. Jesus, he knew not just how bad our memories would be, but especially how terrible our spiritual memories are. And so he gave us the Lord's Supper. And yet here in this verse, God is saying that instead of remembering something, he's going to forget something. And instead of it being a frustrating forgetting, um, instead of it being a sign that God is weak or limited or getting on a bit in years and his memory is going, uh, rather it's a wonderful forgetting. It is a blessed forgetting. It is a gracious forgetting. It is the forgetting of sins. Now we're not going to go that much into the 
context. Instead, we're going to look at the verse as a, a standalone verse and from our New Testament perspective. Uh, but as we do that, I'm going to give you eight words to have in your mind as we turn this verse over and over in our mind. So think of God's forgiveness as being like this, a diamond with an infinite number of facets that we will marvel at for all eternity. And we get to look at eight of those sides this morning. So the first word to think about is the word authority. The word authority. God says, I, even I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and will not, will not remember your sins. Remembers your sins no more. Now, if someone tells you that you are forgiven, what is crucial in that is that they have the right to forgive you. Uh, They have the authority to forgive you. So, for example, if you stole someone's car and a few days later I told you, don't worry about it, I forgive you, uh, that might be a, a nice thing to say, but it would be pretty empty if if it wasn't my car that you had stolen. Because in that situation, I don't have the right to forgive you. I don't have the authority to forgive you. It wasn't you. It wasn't me that you had sinned against. Someone can only truly forgive if they have the authority to forgive, if they have the right to forgive. And and that's what God is saying here at the beginning of this verse. He is the one who is forgiving, and that is significant Because he and he alone has the right to forgive. So if you skim your eyes over verses 22 to 24, you will see that God has been telling uh, the people of Israel about their sins against him. Uh, He's he's summing them up here. They've they've been thinking wrongly of him. uh, That they've not been honouring him in the way that he deserved uh, to be honoured. Um, indeed, if you look at the end of verse 24, they've been, they've been tiring him out with all of their sins. And yet he says, I, I am the one who forgives you. And, and you notice the emphasis on the I. And only I have the right to forgive you, God is saying. Only I have the authority to forgive you. And, and I do forgive you. I do forgive you. And and this is the gospel promise in the Lord Jesus Christ. God has the right to take away your sin. God has the authority to take away your sin. And in Christ, God, he does take them away. How amazing is that? How amazing it is that if you're trusting in Christ, you won't get to the day of judgment and find out that it's all been a massive mistake and that God never had the right to take away your sin. And that his promise was just empty. No, his forgiveness is not meaningless. It's real. It's true. It's substantial. God has the right to take away your sin and he does that in Christ a second word to think about is the word personal. The word personal. God talks about your transgressions and your sins. Now, of course, there is a particular context. Here, God is specifically addressing the nation of Israel in this chapter. 
and here in these verses, verses 22 to uh, 24 as well, um, and, and he's particularly addressing um, Israel as they have sinned against him. But as, but as we apply this verse to ourselves uh, from um, our, our New Testament perspective, we, we remember that this is personal. Uh, we remember that, that you need forgiveness uh, and that I need forgiveness. Uh, you have done things that are wrong. Uh, you have offended God. You have broken his law. Uh, you have not loved him as you should have done. Uh, you are guilty before him. You, yourself. Uh, it's very easy, isn't it, to, to think of other people's sins. Uh, and yet you have to ask the question, well, well what about your sins? Uh, what about the things that you have done? What about the forgiveness that you need. This is personal. This needs to be applied not to the person sitting next to you, but to you. And this forgiveness on offer is for you. It is for you. So this morning, if you have repented and if you have turned away from your sin and you have put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been forgiven by God. You as an individual, you personally, you have been forgiven by God. Or, or this morning, if you, if you will repent, if you do repent, if you do turn away from your sin, if you do put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be forgiven by God. You personally, this morning, whatever your name is, you will be forgiven by God. This is, this is personal. And, and isn't this something that you want? As you feel that burden of guilt on your conscience, as you see your guilty past, as you see all of your sin, isn't this something that you need? This is, this is personal. A third word is determined. Determined. God says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my sake and remembers your sins no more. Now that last part of the verse can be translated and is translated in other versions, and I will not remember your sins. I will not remember your sins. You know, sometimes people are determined not to forget sin. Uh, they're determined not to forget the wrong and the hurt that someone has done to them. And uh, maybe that's been you in the past. Maybe um, you can look back and you can remember a time where you were holding a grudge against someone and you were keeping a record of the wrongs that they had done to you. Maybe you're becoming bitter and poisoned in your mind towards them because of what they've done. Maybe that's you this morning. Uh, maybe you're holding a grudge against someone this morning. Maybe as you look at someone, you can only see them through the lens of what they have done to you. And maybe you are determined not to forget how you have been wronged. And yet here, God, he's, he's, he's not determined to remember what you've done wrong, but God, he's determined to forget things that people have done wrong. So, so God is determined not to keep a record of wrongs. Um, he says, I will, I will not remember your sins. 
And, and, and we have to understand that, that God's determined is not the kind of determined where you, where you try your hardest, but you know that you're, you're never going to succeed. It's the kind of determined that's decided. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to happen. It, it will happen. Uh, when we put our trust in Jesus, God, he does not remember your sins anymore. He won't. He doesn't. Uh, it, it will not happen. It's not happening. Uh, God, he doesn't get flashbacks. God, he's determined not to remember our sins. And yet, of course, the question needs to be asked, well, does God actually blank our sins out of his mind? In terms of, does God no longer actually have any knowledge of our sins? And of course, the answer is no. God does still know what we've done wrong. Uh, The word remember is often used in the Bible to refer to when God is about to act when he's about to do something. So, for example, in Genesis 8 and verse 1, it says that God remembered Noah in the ark. And, of course, up until that point, it wasn't that Noah had slipped from God's mind because God is a bit forgetful. No, it's saying that God is now about to act. And, and of course, God did in that situation. When God remembers, it means that he's about to act. And so here, when it says that God will not remember your sins anymore. It, it doesn't mean that he's kind of actually has, has no knowledge of them anymore. He's, he's saying that, 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 that God will never act on them. God will never act on them because God has already acted on them in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that now as God looks at you, he, he no longer looks at you through the lens of your sin. He looks at you through the perfect righteousness of Jesus that has been given to you and his finished work of salvation on the cross. Meaning that God has forgotten your sin. It's, it's, it's finished with. It's, 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 it's done. They're gone. They're dealt with. Fourth word, mercy. Mercy. God says, I, even I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And will not remember your sins. Now to transgress means to cross a boundary. It means to break a law. And of course when you break a law, what you deserve is to be punished proportionately. That's justice. Now in many ways, verse 25 comes as a big surprise in the flow of this chapter and this passage. It's it's out of the blue. It's unexpected. Because in verses 22 to 24, God has been uh, telling Israel about all the ways in which they had sinned um, against him. Uh, Finishing in the second half of verse 24 by saying that they have wearied him with their sins. Uh, And then you go from God feeling tired of their sin in verse 24 to God forgiving them in verse 25. And there is no explanation of why in between. There is just a massive jump from one verse to another. Verse 25, it's wonderful, it's amazing, but it's unexpected. Because what they deserve is not what they get. It's a bit like the person who's having their portrait painted and who says to the artist, "Um, I want you to do me justice. Uh, With the artist replying, it's not justice you need, it's mercy. We need mercy. 
our spiritual portrait needs mercy. We need to be treated in a way that we do not deserve. And as we repent and we turn from our sin and we put our trust in Jesus, that is exactly what we receive. We receive God's wonderful mercy. Now, what happens when you turn to Jesus and put your trust in, in him? What happens to your sin? Well, we're told here it's blotted out. Your, your sin, it's, it's blotted out. It's, it's washed away by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means it's completely removed from your record. Every trace of it is it's gone. It's, it's wiped clean, it's erased, it's deleted, it's no longer there. God has taken it away as far as the east is from the west. And God, he doesn't remember it no more. It's blotted out. Mercy. I, I love how God's attitude towards mercy is described in Micah 7 and verse 18, where Micah describes God as being someone who delights in mercy. Think of that. Delights in mercy. I've never met anyone whose natural instinct is to delight in mercy. No one. But God's attitude and heart for mercy is just that. He delights in mercy. He loves to forgive. And so it's no wonder that that Micah asked that question uh, there in chapter 7. Who is a God like you? who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of his people. Mercy. A fifth word, complete. Complete. You know, I think it's very common for people who are truly trusting in the Lord Jesus to believe that the the vast majority of their sins have been forgiven, but there is this one specific sin that they can't quite believe that God has forgiven. So maybe it's a sin that in their minds is bigger than other sins or maybe it's a sin that um, on the surface has caused more damage than other sins or maybe it's a sin that has become public and they feel very self-conscious about it. Maybe it's a sin that is very private and no one knows about it and they're very ashamed of it. They would never um, open up to anyone about it. Maybe it's a sin that is the result of a temptation that they struggle with more than others. Um, it's, it's only a tiny detail, but notice that it's, it's plural, not singular in the verse. It's, it's your transgressions. It's, it's, it's your sins. Uh, God here is he's not focusing his attention on, on just one specific sin or type of sin and saying, well, well, I'll forgive you for that. No, as you put your trust in Jesus with God, there is complete forgiveness. There is complete forgiveness. Every single sin forgiven. Uh, The big sins as well as the little sins. Uh, The public sins as well as the private sins. Uh, The sins that you are desperately ashamed of. And the sins that perhaps we should be a bit more ashamed of. Complete forgiveness. Complete forgiveness. Isn't that amazing? Isn't God so wonderful and kind? A sixth word, assurance. Assurance. I, I, I love the way in which God, he, he doesn't just forgive, but he wants his people to know that they're forgiven. God, he really wants his people to know that they are forgiven. 
I mean, he wants his people to know that he loves them. He wants his people to know that he loves them. He wants them to experience the joy and the freedom and the relief from from knowing that he has forgiven them and taken their sins away. And and, and God, he goes out of his way to assure his people that they are forgiven. And I I think you get a bit of a, 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 a glimpse of that here. So, so God, he says, he says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. Now, that should be enough for us. Uh, that should be enough for people to know that our sins are completely blotted out, that they have been erased and deleted from our records, uh, to, to, to know that God has, has washed them away. Uh, that should be more than enough for us. That's all God needs to say. But it's almost as if God, he pictures some trembling, doubting, fearful believer thinking to themselves, yes, I believe that God has blotted my sins out and he's wiped them from my record. I believe that's true, but of course my my sin will still be in God's mind as he looks at me. I mean, he he still knows that I've done them. He'll still be thinking about my guilty past uh, when he, he looks at me. And so God, to... To give extra assurance to that fearful believer, he doesn't stop there. He says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. He's saying, believer, it's not just that I've washed your sins away. It's not just that I've, I've dealt with them. But in Christ, I don't even remember them. I don't even remember them. When I look at you, I'm not getting flashbacks about all the things you've done in the past. I, I don't even remember them. They're gone. They're finished with. Know that you are loved. Know that you are forgiven. God goes out of his way to assure us. And then the seventh word, costly. Costly. It's, it's a massive surprise to go from the, the weariness of God over sin in verse 24 to the forgiveness of God um, in verse 25. And with no kind of explanation um, of, of, of why or, or how God is going to do it. But of course, as you continue reading through Isaiah, uh, you, you, it becomes clearer and clearer how God is going to to do it. We read the end of Isaiah 52 and and chapter 53. God is going to provide a substitute, a a sacrificial lamb, um, someone who was innocent, who's going to take our place and receive what we deserve and pay the price for us. Uh, God's special servant, who we know is the Lord Jesus Christ, his own dear son. Uh, In Isaiah 53, we read this. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's how he did it. And that's how he did it. In America, there is a gravestone with the inscription on it, I want to stand where you're standing. I want to stand where you're standing. 
and the grave belongs to a 19-year-old soldier who fought in the American Civil War. And uh, one of his responsibilities was he was part of the uh, firing squad. And uh, one day as the firing squad were preparing to execute a number of prisoners, uh, this 19-year-old soldier, he realized that he recognized one of the men that he was about to shoot. And so laying down his gun, he went over to the senior officer and he pointed the man out and he said, sir, he said, I cannot shoot this man. And then he walked over to the condemned man who was about to die and he said to him, I want to stand where you're standing. Uh, And the condemned man, he stood to one side and this 19-year-old soldier, he stood in the condemned man's place. Uh, And that is exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. He, he, he stood in our place. You think of the cost of your forgiveness. Uh, you think of the cost of your sins being blotted out and being washed away. It's the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I listen to this poem. All my sin of every kind, all the thoughts that stain my mind, All the evil I designed, laid on him. All the ways my feet have strayed, all the idols I have made, all the times I have not prayed, laid on him. All the told and acted lies, all success and all the tries, sins that I legitimize, laid on him. All that sinks me to the mire, all the times of base desire, all that needs a cleansing fire laid on him. All my misdirected powers, all my many wasted hours, all my dreams of ivory towers laid on him. All that makes my spirit cold, all that keeps me from the fold, all that dims my father's gold laid on him. All the times I've grieved the spirit, all the nature I inherit, All the punishment I merit, laid on him. Laid on him, God's own dear son. Laid on him, the holy one. Blotting out the noonday sun when laid on him. Costly. Costly. And then our final word, security. Security. Why has God done this? Why does God not remember our sins when we trust in Jesus? Is it, is it because of us? Is it, is it because of some lovable quality or likableness that we have? Um, is, is it because of, of, of some level of goodness that we have um, achieved? No, absolutely not. We're told here in this verse, it's because of him. It's, it's all because of him. He's, he's done it for his own sake. He says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Why has God done it? He's done it for his glory. Uh, Why has God done it? He's done it for his name. He's he's done it for his reputation. Um, He's done it for his fame. Uh, He's done it for his worship. He's done it to honour himself. He's done it in honour of his faithfulness. And and that is not the bad thing. That's a glorious thing. There is wonderful security in that. Uh, We are changeable. God is not. Uh, We are up and down all of the time. But God remains the same. 
If, if it all depended on us, on our loveliness, on our spiritual success, on us always resisting temptation, on our religious performance, on us always having a, a good day, if, if, if it all depended on us, there would be no hope whatsoever. And, and yet there is hope. That there is sure and there is certain hope because it all depends on him. It all depends on him. He's done it for his own sake. He's done it for his glory. And there is security in that. There is peace in that. And, 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 and it should cause us to worship him and to praise him and to give him the glory. As he explains to us that he's done it for his glory. The glory of his grace. And we praise him this morning.